Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I hope you are doing well. March is National Kidney Month, so we need to talk about kidney health, prevention of kidney disease, and knowing our family history with kidney disease and diabetes so that we can be out in front of this. What people don't realize is that kidney disease, diabetes is often referred Uh, referred to as the silent killer. And there are more than 37 million Americans who have kidney disease and high blood pressure and diabetes, which often leads to kidney failure, which then means dialysis and or the need for a kidney transplant. It's really important that we listen to our bodies. If, you know, we all have that feeling when we know something isn't quite right. Well, we need to listen and we need to act on that and we need to go see a doctor. There are more than 90,000 people in our country who are waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant. And so another facet to the kidney conversation is living kidney donation. And my guest today did what many of us have thought about. He saw a need and he acted on it. And so we're going to talk with him and learn more about his journey as a living kidney donor. Now, to get more information about kidney health and prevention, please visit lifepassiton.org or nkf.org today. And you can listen to our podcast uh, anywhere that you uh, would get your podcast. We're on all of those platforms. And we are also, you can also find our episodes at lifepassiton.org as well. So with that, let's dive right in and please join me in welcoming my special, my special guest. Brett Milam to the show today. Hey, Brett, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you um, for a Monday. Has <laughs> 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 had some little little issues, but we're we're working through it, so it's all good. So thank can you I, for can your I, patience. <laughs> can I pull the curtain back a little bit for the listeners? So last Thursday we recorded this podcast initially, and I jokes but was being very earnest that I wore a nice polo shirt yep for a podcast so that didn't make any sense and I'm not even joking today Monday recording this again from my home I started fiddling with the blinds to get the lighting right and then I'm like what am I doing it's a podcast (laughs) I did it again so (laughs) well I appreciate you trying to do all those things So you have a very um, interesting story about being a living kidney donor, and um, I'd love for you to to share that with our listeners today. Sure. So actually, believe it or not, when I first thought about donating a kidney was March 2018. So it was the same month we're in right now, National Kidney Month. So I was scrolling Twitter as one does and came across an article from Dylan Matthews of Vox, the explainer website. And he was recounting his journey, donating a a kidney. And he was the same age as me at the time. I think we were both 26. And as I'm reading the article, it just clicked on my head of 
but this is doable. Like that, that's the word I've thought about these last three years since donating December 13th, 2019 is that it's just doable. Mm -hmm. And once that clicked in my head, that's when I realized I needed to donate my kidney because when I'm, I'm healthy, why, why shouldn't I do it? Right. Even though I had never previously had major surgery, I, I thought he explained it well enough that it seemed doable, seemed recoverable. And obviously, most importantly, it could help somebody. Right. I, we don't we have two kidneys and we don't need two kidneys. So. Right. So talk about the process. You said, you know, you realized in March of 2018 um, that you wanted to do this um, from um, a, a fellow journalist sharing his experience and he said it's doable. Walk us down that path of what what living donation looks like for the donor. So just as I'm whimsical about making a life-altering decision to donate a kidney, I'm also I also have a penchant for procrastinating and also just had a busy life in terms of being I was the newspaper editor in Claremont County. So I had started the process to become a living kidney donor in, in summer 2018, but I was covering a trial in Claremont County and that kind of ended up eating my time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't actually get back to the process until summer 2019. So basically what you do is you make that initial contact with whoever you plan on going through. So I went through UC Medical Center mm -hmm. and they follow up with you. And then you go and you do all these battery of tests, psychological, physical, you meet with the nutritionist, you meet with a social worker, you meet with the surgeons. And you're, you're basically just, they're testing to see if you're there of your own volition, mm -hmm. of your own choice. Mm -hmm. They're testing to make sure you're physically capable and they're testing to make sure you're psychologically capable of doing this. Mm -hmm. And once you go through those tests, they actually will present you to their board to be like, okay, they can do it. It's they're allowed to go through that process. And I would say, I, th I think it was about a 10 week process from beginning to end. It might've been a little bit longer, but for the most part, it wasn't that much of a commitment on my end. I had to carry around a pee jug, which I love talking about the pee jug because it looks like a gas tank and you obviously pee in it because they want to check your urine. And then I had to go in, get uh, my blood drawn quite a bit. And they also gave me the diabetes drink that you get you give mm -hmm. women when they're yeah. pregnant. I remember that. I, yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't think it was that bad. I, not that I'm like drinking it casually, but <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, so then you, you you go through all that. They, they're checking the insides of your body and making sure your kidneys are okay and all that kind of stuff. So from a commitment standpoint, I didn't think it was that much of a commitment. And it, I think it's important for people to know that as the living kidney donor, you, you're not paying anything. The mm. recipient's insurance company is paying everything, right. even down to the point of UC was like comping my parking garage tickets. Like, wow, I, I didn't have to pay any. And I think it's also important to note that in the state of Ohio, um, there has been legislation passed um, for uh, living kidney donors so that there's not I don't know if insurance discrimination is the right term, but basically that they're able to take the time off to do what they need to do. And um, so we have those safeguards in place in Ohio. And I know other states are working on that as well, which I think is important to note. I was going to ask you, so you ended up donating in December, correct? December, 2019. And that, so once they had gone through the process of presenting me to the board and obviously realizing that I was physically capable of doing this, which 
I came later to understand that not everybody will end up being physically and psychologically capable of donating. So it's not like just anybody that signs up is going to get through all that. Right. You never know. So go through the process and find out. But so once you go through that process, they present you to the board. Then they actually came back to me and they were like, which dates they gave me like a couple of lists of dates to donate to have the actual surgery. Because at the end of the day, you're the one stepping up to go through major surgery to give your kidney. So they're, they're trying to accommodate you as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, they gave me a date before Christmas, December 13th, 2019. So I thought it would be a nice Christmas gift. So that's why I picked it. And then in hindsight, it worked out great because within three months we had the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So Mm -hmm. I was very happy with how that ended up working out. Right. And in fact, when, when COVID came, uh, there was a time that living kidney donation was, it was categorized as a elective surgery. Right. And so they had stopped doing them for, for a period of time. So it's wonderful that you got in right before, you know, that happened. How long were you off of work in during your recovery? So you have to understand, I had, I kind of had like a, I don't know if it's naive, arrogant, viewpoint of major surgery but i originally thought i could have the surgery i think the 13th was a thursday i want to say mm-hmm. that i would have that surgery and be back to work by monday <laughs> 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 because because you're, you're superman brett <laughs> so like we at the time we would put out the physical newspaper on a tuesday and i was like obsessed with not missing tuesdays mm-hmm. so i really thought i could make it back but obviously that was not realistic the way I've come to look at it is it's about, it was about a 10 day recovery that I needed to just be at home and recover. So that was the surgery stayed overnight at the hospital. And then that day, probably around mid afternoon, I left the hospital and went back home and then about nine days thereafter to just recover. And I would say the most discomforting thing about it in that nine day period after you get home from the hospital is that like your organs are trying to reconfigure themselves so you can like feel them moving around in your stomach so that's kind of a yeah so that's kind of a weird little (laughs) feeling huh that's really interesting but the way I always I always think about it too is what's 10 days of discomfort and of course it's going to vary for different people people recover from surgery differently but this is such a non-invasive surgery nowadays Mm -hmm. that what's 10 days of my discomfort to literally give somebody back their quality of life, get them off dialysis. I also just recently visited two dialysis centers in Westchester and Eastgate for the first time. And it, I mean, it's, there's no other way to say it other than it's a bleak environment and Mm -hmm. anything you can do to get those people Mm -hmm. out of those centers to a better quality of life. You should do it if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I, you know, I think about, you doing this and just, I mean, it, in my mind, it, it took a tremendous amount of courage just to kind of say, yeah, this is doable and just, and then just do it. I mean, you just, you, you said, I'm going to follow through and I don't know. I just, I really commend you for that because not everyone is wired that way, you know? Well, and it's funny because obviously people have asked me, what's my, why, why did I do this? And at the time in 2018, I knew nothing about organized tissue donation. I didn't really have a grasp on the need for organs to be donated. I didn't know anything about Life Center Organ Donor Network. It was just, in my head, it was as simple of a calculation as this is doable. 
that -hmm. person needs it more than I do. Like there was really not much deeper thought. I didn't like do a bunch of research. I'm not somebody that can rattle off my GFR numbers or anything like that. (laughs) Like it was just a simple calculation in my head. Right. Well, you know, you, you join a list of other journalists in our community who have done the same. So you, Lisa Cooney, who was uh, an anchor and reporter for our local NBC affiliate, and then Tanya O'Rourke, who was anchor for our local CBS affiliate. And so you're in good company, buddy. <laughs> and of course, Dylan Matthews was the oh. one who inspired me. And so. then he, yes. So I love that. Well, and what's funny is I had actually emailed him almost right away that just asking a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions, I think the only question I really had, well, no, I had two questions. One was, what about my family? If, if a family member needs a kidney, then what? And then the other question was, how are you now? Because I think at the time he wrote it, it was like a couple of years after his donation. So I'm like, how are you physically doing now? And so I think those are two questions that most people are going, are, are going to have about living kidney donation. And to those, I would answer with family members, You once you become a living kidney donor and say your family down the road, a family member, a sibling, a parent might need a kidney, there's a voucher program so that that family member, because you're a living kidney donor, they're going to shoot to the top of the list. Right. So they're going to be okay. These, these kidney people think of everything. Yes. So they're going to be fine. And the way I look at it is the person now waiting on dialysis needs that kidney more than hypothetical family member in the future. And then to the physical part, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. I have, I have a little scar on my above, or actually it's below my belly button. Mm-hmm. And, but I had to pee a little bit more, but otherwise my diet's the same advice a dietitian would give to somebody else, eat mm-hmm. right, drink water, anything like that. Like it's, it's a normal diet that you would have, you would give to anybody else. So I, I'm fine. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that one of the things I wanted to do post-surgery, in which I did fall 2021, was I went skydiving for the second time. Because like I after skydiving the first time in 2012, I was like, now I need to skydive with one less kidney just to kind of <laughs> prove to myself I could, I guess. And it was funny because my post-surgery doctor at UC was Dr. Sunshine. <laughs> which I just love that her name's Dr. Sunshine. And you gotta be kidding me. Yep. <laughs> and I asked her, I'm like, am I allowed now to still go skydiving? Yeah. And she's like, well, as long as you don't fall into a tree. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that works. What is it? What's the fascination with sky skydiving? I need to ask that question. It is the most euphoric, serene feeling there is. It's not even the adrenaline rush. Of course, there's the adrenaline rush when you come out of the plane and you're free falling for like a 60 seconds and you got all the wind pressure hitting your face and all that. So there's a high adrenaline high for that. Mm. What's addictive about it and what makes me want to do it again and again is once the chute actually gets pulled and you're just floating above the earth, it's just so calm and serene. Very quiet. Yes. It's, it's beautiful. Now, I assume you, you did it in tandem with someone. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah, they, they basically do all the work. <laughs> I would never do it solo. <laughs> Although he did let me steer the parachute once it got going. So I could like go this way, go that way. And I'm making the motions, even though you people can't see me doing right. the motions. You are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So. Fast forward, you've 
uh, made this, you gave this tremendous gift. And then in 2022, you decided, I think I'm going to come and work at Life Center. So that's a great segue because speaking of serendipity, <laughs> when I donated my kidney in, in December 2019, shortly thereafter, UC's press people contacted me and were like, do you want to speak at our flag raising that we do and donate life month, which is April. And I was like, Oh, of course I'll do that. And of course, at the time I said that I did not do public speaking, but I think once I donated my kidney, I understood that I'm going to have to just get over my fear of public speaking so that I can champion this cause. So I just said yes. And like, hope that I can figure it out by the time April comes around. Well, as it happened, of course, April, 2020 was, we were in the midst of the pandemic and it got canceled and then it got pushed back and again the following year. And so by the time 2022 came around in April, it was time for me to give that speech at the flag raising by hosted by UC. And then it was in partnership with Life Center. Well, again, at the time, I still didn't know what Life Center was until I started in early 2022 looking for new jobs. I never thought I would leave journalism. I thought that was always going to be my career. I thought I would be like one of those people that is like 75 years old and he's still at the local newspaper kind of thing. But <laughs> I, I think I realized I needed to find something that was just pushing me beyond what the local paper was doing. And so mm -hmm. when I saw that Life Center had a job opening, and even though we mostly focus on deceased donation at Life Center, I still was like, it felt like the perfect calling that, hey, I had done this living kidney donation and now I have a chance to go work at Life Center and still apply the skills I'd learned as a journalist. So I right. thought it was a perfect match. And then so where the serendipity part comes in is I got the phone call on that Friday of the flag raising that's hosted by UC in partnership with Life Center. By, so Jeannie Kuhn, she called me and said, hey, we want to offer you the job. So before I go to the, give this speech, I learn I'm getting the job at Life Center. So then when I show up to give the speech at Life Center, Barry Massa, Barry Massa, our executive president, was there. And he learned through my speech that they had hired me. So I, I thought it was just a, it was a perfect, everything just aligned perfectly. I agree. And I also agree uh, when you said perfect match, we feel the same way. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel like you were kind of the missing piece to our team. And you're just, you're such a great writer, great communicator, just great team member. Like you're all the, the things and it's just, we couldn't be more excited to have you part of the team and just helping in the mission and the work. And it, I mean, it really is just the best place to work. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on a podcast where people could hear this. Like it really is the best place to work because of the culture because of people's willingness to accept new ideas. Like when I first started, Joel Chase, one of our clinical team members, uh, he said to me, they hired you for a reason. They hired you to bring your skills to bear mm -hmm. on what we do here. So lean into that rather than doing what you think they might expect of you otherwise or something like that. So I think the culture has always been open and accepting of new ideas, new ways of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And then it's just, it's just a wonderful culture. I mean, as we joked, the team is a bunch of mother hens and I'm <laughs> you guys' baby. I, I don't know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I just, 
I love that we make you laugh so much. I mean, it's just because our normal discourse and conversation, but whatever we're saying, it makes you giggle, which like, that's cool. (laughs) And it's, I mean, it's funny when I go to family gatherings and stuff, my, I have a couple of sisters that are in nursing at Bethesda and they're like, how do I get a job at Life Center? I want to get a job at Life Center. Your job looks so cool because we do, we get to go out into the community and, and have an impact. We get to just engage with, people and it's it's a very passionate driven job that's mm-hmm. very fulfilling every day every day is different just like journalism was so yep. it's wonderful i completely agree with that and you know you've you've taken your talents as a writer and i mean you just you're such a great you just know how to connect the purpose of the work and you've written some editorials about the importance of donation and just i mean you really are just continuing to have that ripple effect through through your writing and just really communicating the why to our community and the importance of registering to be a donor or and or looking into exploring the possibility of being a living donor. I mean, so we appreciate you for just doing that and just, you know, showing up in that way because that's how we reach more people and, and sharing your experience. So thank you. Thank you for that. And that's how I've always viewed it. It's, it's can be an, I know it can be an uncomfortable position for living kidney donors to be in because I know like Julie Lubers, our colleague doesn't like to talk about her living kidney donation because she doesn't want to seem like she's like a glory hog or something like that. And of course I don't want to feel like that either, but I think it's important to share our stories to hopefully plant the same kind of seed that was planted in my head when I read Dylan Matthews story, because it just creates that chain effect. Absolutely. And so I want to take a turn to another topic and uh, you and I've talked about this, but during when we interviewed you for this position, you were very open about your mental health and just some things that you've experienced, which for me, when you shared that, just being so vulnerable in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, he is exceptional. We have to hire him, right? Like just this genuine person. But could you share a little bit about that with our listeners? Because you know, there's probably a lot of people out here struggling, as we all know, we, we all struggle with something. And so I, I think that this could be of help to someone. Absolutely. And that's another area where I feel comfortable enough to be an open book when it comes to my struggles with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, which is like suicidal thoughts. So if it helps somebody else, that's why I don't mind sharing. And so everything just lined up so perfectly with Life Center. In 2021, January 2021, was the first time I actually took the step to getting on an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. I had been struggling for five, six, seven years, pretty much as long as I could remember through my 20s oh, wow. with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And so I, I got on the antidepressants in early 2021, but it still took another six months to not only get it to a better antidepressant, because sometimes that happens to get yep. one that better fits with your body chemistry. And then I finally took the step of doing talk therapy, which was just a game changer. Those two elements really help. Dieting, of course, always helps. Uh, eating better, exercising, meditating. And then by fall 2021, I was asked by Claremont County Suicide Prevention Coalition to speak at their candlelight vigil that they do in September for those who had previously passed to suicide and because they had heard my story because I wrote about it for the newspaper and I think that was like the opening 
that I needed to start doing public speaking on these kinds of issues and letting people know whether they've been through it themselves or they have family members that have been through it themselves to just know what it's like to experience depression, kind of put uh, a picture to it, paint that picture. And I hope it helps people. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking actually this past weekend on Friday, my sister, my twin sister, she had her gender reveal party to mm-hmm. reveal whether her child was going to be a boy or a girl. And it was a girl. Yay. So I was excited. <laughs> so we're already thinking about girl names. Oh, and, you know, and, and now that I'm mentally well, immensely better, and I'm thankful for that, my mind still goes to if I had ever gone through and carried out what mm-hmm. I had thought about was suicide, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been there for my twin's daughter. But now I am here. Right? I'm so thankful for that. And the reason I say it all worked out with Life Center is that by the time I got mentally well and was comfortable doing public speaking and sharing my story, it, I feel like it prepared me perfectly for Life Center and what I have to do there now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you, you said talk therapy. Is that the same as sitting down with a therapist? So it was interesting. When I started in summer 2021, we were doing... Uh, me and my therapist were doing zoom calls. Okay. Right. Which I guess I could have done it in person, but right. I was still kind of skeptical and nervous about therapy. So I, I did it through zoom. Yes. But yeah, that's just, it's yeah. Just talking to a therapist, okay. kind of working through things and you kind of game plan out how you want to get better through like, a, I think it was, it was like a six month okay. process. Okay. And if someone listening is struggling, do you have any resources or that were helpful to you that you could share? I I think what's important is do not be afraid to go to your primary care physician and say you're having mental issues, that you're having depressive thoughts, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts. I can still distinctly remember sitting at UC Health because that's where I have my primary care physician and being so terrified that if I just even let those words come out of my mouth, like alarm bells would go off. I'd be Mm -hmm. like taken to a mental hospital or but it was nothing like that. It was, and I hope other people have this experience. He was my primary care physician. He was open and warm and receptive and got me antidepressants, which I don't think people should be scared to take antidepressants if that works for them. Agreed. So I I think that's definitely talking to your primary care physician is a good first step. And then seeking out the talk therapy is definitely a good idea. It can be overwhelming and it was overwhelming for me because you're like, well, how do I find a, a therapist? Well, I think just like with the antidepressants, you might have to go through a couple right. before you find one that fits you. And and hopefully you have insurance because it is expensive, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also vital to have family support. And I hope anybody listening has family support because my family was definitely there for me and stood behind me. And that's so important. So important. And you have an amazing family. Oh, thank you. I just want to say that because you do, you really do. Thank you for sharing that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Of course. No. And something that's so wonderful. And again, felt like I'm in the right place when I got to Life Center is that they recently started the Galia Collaborative Partnership so that any staff members at Life Center get four free sessions with the Galia Collaborative to have therapy. And I've actually taken advantage of that. It was like I needed a little fine tuning a couple months ago. So it was mm-hmm. it was great. Yes. And I, you know, along the same lines, we recognized as we all were trying to get through COVID and, and manage this new normal that 
our staff was not okay, you know? And so that's what prompted the partnership with Gallia is like, we need to offer our staff, you know, this option to above and beyond the EAP, which comes with your insurance, but this kind of took it a step further. And I think, I think it's been really helpful. Um, And then also, you know, that, that staff can go and talk to them one-on-one, but also they come in and do workshops on different, on different subjects. And so uh, I think it's just, that's really been important just for the health and well-being of our organization. So I, I just was really proud that that, that decision was made. And I, I think for those who have never done therapy, you might think, well, why would I pay just to talk to a stranger? But you would be surprised, I think, of how helpful it is to talk to a stranger. One, because hopefully you have a good therapist that's not judging you or anything like that. Right. But also the way they spit it back out to you makes you just rethink things differently. It's just, it's unbelievably helpful. They definitely, and and I've, you know, I've had therapy off and on during my life, but it, it, they definitely help you see a different perspective. And I think a lot of times if we're, we're in this like really dark space and can't really see ahead, that's where having that perspective, someone who can be objective and just, again, it's about framing and kind of helping you see things in a different way. And I I just, I think there's so much value in that. Right. Because I mean, whatever your issues are, whether it's depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts or something else, it is like a veil across your face that's distorting reality. So the therapist can help you see through that into the actual reality, not that distorted reality. Right. Absolutely agree. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is your, your voracious reader. You love to read, which I yes. just think is awesome. Uh, my mother is a, she reads a lot too. So, um, and I wish I could read as much. I just feel like I don't have the time. <laughs> what, so what are you reading right now, Brett? Or do you read multiple books at one time? No. So I, I try to discipline myself with going from like fiction to nonfiction. So I bounce back and forth and I do stick with one book at a time. I, I used to be really bad about like, I would start a book and then start another book and like swirl around like that. (laughs) So the most recent book I'd finished over the the weekend was the stranger in the woods. So it's about the last hermit in uh, the United States. Literally this guy back in the 1980s drove his car into the main wilderness and then just stayed there for the next 27 years. And he kind of sort of terrorized this main community because to sustain himself with food and car batteries and mattresses and stuff like that, he would break into the cabins nearby. And oh. so they eventually caught him in 2013. But so the book was about that. And it was, but then it kind of got into like deeper subjects about solitude and quiet and meditating and all that kind of stuff. So it was super interesting. Oh, it sounds really good. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? So I would just want to reiterate the point with my, my donation was altruistic, meaning I didn't know who my donor was, my donor, my recipient was. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I've known about them since in the three years is that initially after the surgery, I was told by my doctor, which I give her a shout out with Tifka, Latifa Silski. She's wonderful. Hopefully I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about her. 
She was amazing. She told me my kidney, when it went to the recipient, was a more than perfect match. So I'm very grateful for that. And then the other thing I've learned since then, I think I learned it from Dr. Sunshine in my last checkup with her before she handed me off to my primary care physician, was that my recipient is healthy and doing well. And that's really all that I've ever wanted to know. I know my family sometimes is like, why haven't they written? Why, why don't they want to know who you are or thank you or anything like that? To me, it was never about that. It was just, again, it was that easy calculation. They need the kidney more than I do. And I hope they're healthy. And as far as I know, they are healthy. Yep. And you can't ask for anything better than that. Exactly. What a, what a great outcome. Well, Brett, thank you for spending some more time with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. You are a hero and you sealed that deal on December 13th of 2019 by being an altruistic living kidney donor. So thank you for, for doing that. And, and I know there's, there's recipients out there who just, and patients waiting who are like, wow, there are wonderful human beings like Brett that exist in this world. So just thank you for being who you are. Well, thank you. And I, I know it's cliche to say I don't think of myself as a, a hero. And of course I don't. But I think what's important for people listening to know is that they may also not think of themselves as a hero, but they literally could become a hero by donating their kidney as well. So I Absolutely. hope this plants that seed for them. Planting of the seed. I love it. It's doable. We need to plant the seed. That's yes. It. So as we close out our show today, There are 103,933 men, women, and children who need life-saving organ transplants, and 21 of those individuals will die because the organ they needed was not available. What can you do to help? If you're not registered, please seek out the information, seek the truth, do your research, visit our website at lifepassiton.org to learn what being a donor really means. You can also speak with medical professionals or connect with someone who has gone through the experience as either a donor family member, recipient, or like Brett, a living donor. That's how we learn through the sharing of our stories and things that are based on fact and not fiction. And then you can always register to be an organized tissue donor when you're getting your license or state ID um, or at lifepassiton.org or registerme.org. Um, You can also learn about being a living kidney donor because the vast majority of the people on that waiting list, almost 90,000 people are people who need life-saving kidney transplants. And so again, I want to say thank you to Brett, who is our resident skydiver, journalist, voracious reader, and he's also an amazing human being because he gave the gift of life as a living kidney donor. So thank you for that. I want to thank everyone for listening. And just to remind you to please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others. Those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many 
and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.